Good morning, everybody. Good to be at church today. Would you hand this out to whoever wants? Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, if you would like uh, notes, raise your hand. If you don't want notes, it's fine. Don't get them. But if you would like something to follow along, it has a fill in the blank on it, and the words in yellow are going to be your answers, okay? You're welcome. All right, praise the Lord. Well, so, so this week I've been knowing for several weeks what I was going to teach on today, but it was kind of like, you know, when you're shooting at a target and God just kept telling me, well, you know, it's like you're, you're like in this area, but I need you to, you know, hit the target. So I believe God has a message for us today, very specific for those of you that are here. I think every person here this is for you. So I want you to listen attentively and then say, Lord, what is in that for me? Because Pastor Jennifer said that the Lord said this was for me today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you, Father God, for today. We thank you we get to come together and worship you. Thank you the Holy Spirit is our teacher and our helper. Holy Spirit, just lighten the way. I thank you to show us what we need to see so we can become who you called us, created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're talking about relationship. We're in February. We talk about relationships in February. Today, we're going to talk about collaboration. Collaboration. Relationship is meant to bring success. For a lot of people, they're like, relationship brings hurt. But relationship is meant to bring success. That's what we're going to talk about today. I have a lot of places I want to go. I believe the Holy Spirit is just going to help us and lead us and get there. All right, so God's intention is that you're in relationships that are helping to bring success to your life. So today we're going to inventory our relationship. Who is in our life anyway? We're going to ask the question, where do we need to be putting some more energy? And finally, what new relationships is God wanting us to cultivate, okay? What new relationships? We have to be open to new relationships. All right, number one, the purpose of relationships. Our relationships, we can go to, y'all can move ahead. Our relationships are just as important as our revelations if we're going to follow God's plan for our life. Revelation is the thing that God shows us, opens our eyes and see. You're never going to get there without revelation. But you're never going to get there without relationship either. Your relationships are just as important as your revelation. God uses people to get us where we need to go and to grow spiritually. He wants to put people in your life. People in your life that are going to help you get to where you need to go and people in your life that you're going to help them get where they need to go. So sometimes conflict arise when we deal with people. Conflicts will arise, okay? Sometimes conflicts arise and we, we bail too quickly. We disconnect too quickly and we miss out on what God's wanting to do in our life. So I want to give you, first of all, some examples in the Bible of some collaboration that work toward the greater end. There's a verse, I was looking at the sheet, yeah, thank you. 
There's a verse on here. We're going we're gonna to save it to the end, okay? We're, I, I am skipping that and moving to the end. All right, so the first place I want to look is in 1 Samuel 14. We did this in our, our young adult Bible, our small group. And this was really cool. All right, we're talking about Jonathan and his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, okay? Jonathan had an attitude of faith. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan knew that we can't win without God. And so he went into this battle. Jonathan was always kind of testing the limits of what can we do with God, with God on our side. So Jonathan and uh, he, his, his dad, Saul, was king. And the Philistines were their great enemies. The Philistines were strong and mighty and wealthy and were much better armed than the Hebrews. But Jonathan had had one small battle. What he went in, was it 600 men? A thousand men, his first battle? Okay, his first battle, uh, they, they remember things well. The first battle, he went in with a thousand men and they were, they were outnumbered. Out, you know, the, the Hebrews shouldn't have won, but God was on their side and they won. And so that built up Jonathan's faith. And so he and his armor bearer, they've got this place that they need to get to. And to do that, they've got to go by the Philistine outpost, which is like a fort, you know, a fortress. And there they are, they're strong and mighty men are there on the edge of, of, of their, their territory. And so it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. We don't even have his name. It's two guys. And Jonathan tells his armor bearer, hey, I think we could take these guys. I think that we can go to where we need to go and take down anybody we need to because if it's God doing it anyway, it doesn't really matter if it's a bunch of us or a few. He's like, since we can't do it on our own, I think two's enough. So the armor bearer says, do what you think is best. Listen, these guys had a relationship. He knew Jonathan. He's like, Jonathan, when you think so, I think we can do it. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. And so what ends up happening, I may need help with my screen cutting off. Uh, so what ends up happening, let's go to verse 13. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan. In other words, the guys from the front, Jonathan's taking down, and his armor bearer killed those that came up behind. So everybody that came, one by one, they, came, they took him down, took him down, took him down. Next verse. Verse 14, they killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. So these two guys, one by one, Jonathan in front, armor bearer taking the rear, took down about 20 men. Keep going. Suddenly, panic broke out in the great Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field including even the outposts and those that were going out in raiding parties. I mean, like it was spread from the least to the greatest. Panic broke out. Keep going. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. So needless to say, they won that day. And this was the incident 
that Israel won its freedom from the Philistines. Because of one man's faith and his partnership with his armor bearer brought success to a whole nation. I want to give you some other examples in the Bible. Esther. Esther was in partnership. Do you know who she was in partnership with? Her uncle. Her uncle. I want to show you some different kinds of relationships. We had some warrior, brave young guys. Now we've got Esther and her uncle, Mordecai. This relationship agged Esther on. And Esther saved the Hebrew people because of her relationship with them. She got a relationship with the king that saved her people because of relationship. Ruth, you know who Ruth was in relationship with? Naomi, her mother-in-law. Ruth, the Moabite. Hey, the Moabites were some of the bad guys. Ruth, the Moabite, got in the godly line of Jesus. She's like the grandmother or great-grandmother of David. She gets in the godly line of Jesus because of her relationship with, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ends up in the messianic line. Barnabas was in relationship with Paul. Paul had been killing Christians, and nobody wanted to have Paul over for dinner when the, he said, I'm a Christian now, guys. No, they were like, I don't know if I believe you or not. Barnabas took in Paul befriended him and welcomed him said guys he's okay i vouch for him paul wrote two-thirds of the new testament that we live by today relationship god wants you collaborating he works in relationship paul and timothy we see paul paying it forward into a young man timothy mentored this young man who became a pastor in the early church sometimes our relationship with people is going to be as simple as a smile. I remember um, Ron Falkenberry, who was uh, uh, from at our church from the very beginning. He's gone to live in heaven now, and he used to be a trucker. He was on the road all the time, and he talked. It just made such an impression on me. He said, "You know, he's like I'm on the road so much. You don't know what it means to me to walk into, uh, you know, a gas station and somebody smile at me." how much a smile means to me when I'm out on the road and haven't interacted with a person. Sometimes your relationship's gonna be as simple as a smile or a kind word, a hello, um, you know, just eye contact, saying that somebody's valuable enough to give them to slow down and stop and be seen. And sometimes you're gonna speak into their lives. You're gonna speak prophetically. You're gonna speak by the unction. The Holy Spirit's just gonna be like, no, you need to tell them that that's not true. That's not the way it is. And and, and it, you may not feel like a prophet. You may not feel like any. And God's gonna use you to speak into someone's life that that turns the tra trajectory of their day or their life even. But God wants to do something in our relationships. Second Corinthians six fourteen. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Everybody say in common. All right, keep going. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Everybody say fellowship. fellowship. And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
Harmony. Yes. And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So uh, Paul's telling us here by the Holy Spirit that we are not supposed to be unequally yoked, that a yoke is something that can be equal or it can be unequal, but we can, we can infer from this that a good yoke is going to be someone that we have things in common, that there's a partnership, a fellowship. Some of the translations say friendship, harmony, agreement. So in the negatives, we can find the positives, right? This is what we should be looking for. So number two, we need to periodically do a yoke checkup. We need to periodically do a yoke checkup. Now, speaking of yokes, do you know what the comedian said to the chicken? You know, Jonah's really good at jokes. Do you know, Jonah? Got any good yokes? Do you know why eggs don't tell jokes? They crack each other up. All right, dads, do you know how duck dads entertain their eggs? With dad yolks. <laughs> That's not the kind of yolk this is talking about, okay? That was a diversion. We've done went way off. All right, can I have the picture? Here's a picture of a yolk. Okay, this is a picture of a yoke of two oxen. Now I want you to look, about that, look at that and think about that for a minute. So a yoke can do two things to your life. It can either double your strength, make your work way easier. Would you rather be the one ox doing it by himself or would you rather be plowing with your buddy there? You'd rather be plowing with your buddy. But on the other hand, a yoke could really limit where you could go. It could really limit what you could do in life. It's important who we're yoked with. So we need to sometimes do a yoke checkup every now and then. All right, so our yoke evaluation. We've three levels of friendships, three, three levels of relationships. Basically, we're asking what access? Where, where are people in our lives? The first level is casual friends. Casual friends. Casual friends, there's a low energy output, very low risk. Some examples of where you might have casual friends might be on social media, social media friends. Your kids might go to school together. You might see somebody at the Y and be a casual friend. Close friends is the next level. This is people you hang out with. You share details of your life, maybe you do sports together or church together, but it's not super vulnerable. Transparency and vulnerability are held for people you can really trust. There's more relational collateral, okay? And that's what we reserve for our core friends. Core friends are the people that you see eye to eye. This is what this was talking about in Corinthians. These are your ride or die. They care enough to tell you the truth. You know they'll show up. And you can share intimate details because you trust them. Okay? 
Sometimes we're hurt with people because we've given them access to a level they're not at. We're wanting them to be thinking they're our core friends and they're not our core friends. That's why we got to evaluate every now and then. Evaluating helps us to protect our heart and protect the hearts of others. Okay, so, so let's just think about that. Sometimes friends can grow apart. They can go in different directions. Some relationships are a blessing for a season. And some relationships are a blessing for a lifetime. So I want you to leave today thinking about relationships in a new way thinking what God might want to do in your relationships, sometimes we have to stop asking why and start asking who. Who? Who do, who do you want me to connect with, Lord? A couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13, thir uh, 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Does it matter? Obviously it does. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Sometimes we don't like being sharpened, right? I had a friend one time that said, I'll be, I'll be the, your sandpaper. <laughs> it's like, I don't like your sandpaper. All right. No, iron sharpens iron. We get better, right? We get better. All right, God's wanting to do a work in our relationships. Number three, what about marriage relationships? You know, the husband-wife relationship is probably one of the main relationships under attack. Under attack. This is a relationship that we have to fight for. All right, so what do people say is the goal of marriage? What do people say? Some people say they're in love looking for companionship, sex, to provide a home for children, social acceptance, economic advantage, security. These are reasons that people say why, why you might want to get married, okay? That is not the biblical picture of marriage. The biblical picture of marriage is the blending of two lives in the deepest possible way into one, so that you become one new unit, so that both individuals will be satisfied and you'll serve the purpose of God. I'm gonna say that again. It's blending two lives in the deepest possible way into one, okay? So that they become one new unit. We're gonna talk about this some more, we're gonna break it down a little bit, so that both individuals will be satisfied and serve God's purpose, okay? I just want to say, first of all, that to be married is not superior to being single, okay? I think you could argue the opposite reading the Bible, but God's for single and God's for married. He's for both, clearly. All right, so what does the Bible, what does God have to say about marriage? First of all, he said that it wasn't good that Adam was alone and he made a suitable helper for him. The Hebrew there for suitable helper, suitable means a face-to-face -face helper, it means in-depth and personal. So this was before the fall, right? This was before the fall when God made a helper for Adam. He made Eve. So it wasn't because of the fall. And uh, it was also the time when Adam was walking face-to-face -face with God. 
but he said, I'm going to make a suitable helper, a face-to-face, in-depth, personal helper. Now, Jesus gives us a definition of marriage in Matthew 19. If you would like to read that, I... Um, spent some time with somebody recently that was very interested in our church, wanted to be a part of our church, but she had a problem with our definition of marriage. Our definition of marriage comes from Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is talking about divorce. Now, it's not God's will that you get divorced, but he does define marriage there as between a man and a woman, and he takes it back to the beginning, the way that God made it. So, I had to explain to this young lady that we would love her at True North Church and that she was welcome here. We would welcome her, love her, and her partner, but we would not change the definition of marriage, that that came from the Bible, that came from God. But if people have to have a place, people can't get their lives all godly without God. So you got to have a place to learn about God to become godly. So you might have a similar situation sometime. Everyone's welcome, okay? But they're going to hear the truth at the same time, all right? So so Jesus defined it. In Jesus' definition, there's the idea that they are united in an unbreakable union, a union that's not just physical and not just for emotional support, but it is a union of two lives. You're joining intellectually, socially, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. This kind of union cannot exist without deep, lasting commitment that God intends to accompany. Can't do it without God, okay? Genesis 2.24, we're going to look a little bit deeper at it. Genesis 2.24 says, that is why, and this is what Jesus was referring to when he was explaining it to them. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. All right, that word one there is a really cool word. It is the same word in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the same, same idea, but it is the example. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word one here is, is when we look at the Hebrew of this word, it is a composite unity versus an absolute unity. All right, do you know the difference between a composite and an absolute? So, um, you know, some countertops are formica. That's a composite. It's made out of different things. Some countertops are granite. That means you cut down through it. It's granite at the top, granite at the middle, granite at the bottom. That is an absolute unity. That is one thing. Composite, another example of composite is uh, concrete. When we use concrete to make um, foundations or to make walls where we can go up high, they reinforce that concrete. They pour it with rebar. 
the rebar and the concrete together are a composite. Both have qualities that make it stronger than either one, neither one of them could do the job on their own, okay? So, composite material. The one here is a composite unity. You can go to the next slide. A composite unity versus an absolute unity. God is composite. God is composite. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. We don't serve three gods. He's three in one. And that's just a little bit beyond our ability to understand, isn't it? A little bit beyond what we can fit in our brain, but he's bigger than our brain. He made our brain, right? He's outside and above that. But it is the way that he chose to reveal himself. He is three in one. All right, so within the three in one, there are three distinct identities. There's the Father. The Father is not the Son. And there's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. Who died on the cross for our sins? Jesus. He's distinct. Who comes to dwell inside of us? The Holy Spirit. Who gave his only begotten son? The Father. He's three in one. So God is unity and God is diversity. There's very distinct diversity in the Trinity. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. So the objective of marriage is to cooperate with God in developing a total union of two lives. Okay? This is the biblical objective of marriage. To cooperate with God in developing a total union of two lives, a total oneness of two. Okay? But and this is a long-term project, by the way. Okay, this doesn't happen on the wedding day, right? Neither husband or wife should lose their identity, just as the Holy Spirit doesn't lose his identity. So the unity does not eradicate our personality. You're still a person within a union. You get to express your own diversity and express complete oneness. And it's cool, and it can only happen because God's involved. Because there's a husband and a wife and God. That's how it all comes together. All right, so number four, dealing with conflict in marriage. It's a union not meant to be broken. So I just want to remind you <laughs> that we're always trying to teach what the Word says, right? But there's never meant to be condemnation for anything behind you, anything behind you in your past, okay? There's never meant, that's not what we're talking about. We're trying to help somebody that it's in front of them, okay? So don't ever let the devil, there's no condemnation in Christ, okay? But marriage is a union that's not meant to be broken, 
So there's a couple things that we need to know that can help us with this. Uh, this is very interesting. Psychologists tell us that the in love feeling, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. That in love feeling has an average lifespan of two years. Helpful to know. I don't know if that was good or bad. Has that <laughs> average lifespan of two years. So for the first two years, and that can even start before you're married, right? You can be in love before, you know, that doesn't mean anniversary to. It means two years of being in love, and then that feeling kind of wanes. Helpful to know. Emotions kind of push us along, and we deal with conflict in love, right? We're in love. But then we come off of that high, and conflicts arise. Now we don't have that feeling to push us along anymore. And plus, we get negative feelings of not knowing how to resolve conflicts. Well, you're really kind of getting on my nerves now. The heart of the problem is that marriage suddenly doesn't look like what we dreamed it would look like. Okay? And then the process of separation begins. One of the partners runs into somebody else that shows them attention, that smiles at them is kind to them and the other partner is never kind to them never smiles at them anymore and it can develop into an emotional attraction that can develop into a physical attraction that can lead to a divorce but we have that same pattern with another partner if we don't learn from it That's why the divorce rate's higher in second marriages than first. But we can create a climate for solving conflict. We can create a climate for solving conflict. How do we do that? I started off by saying, what relationships in our life is God wanting us to put more energy into? If you're married, this is certainly a relationship that you need to make sure you're giving it adequate energy. One way that we put energy into our marriage is very simple things like appreciation, admiration, gratitude. That we don't treat the person that we wake up next to every day worse than we treat the person in line at Ingalls, right? that we still notice and value and appreciate. They may not be doing everything right, but they're doing something right. And you can appreciate that. And let them know you see it and value, value them. Another thing that you can do is you can learn, learn more about your spouse and you can love them in their love language. I recommend the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Sometimes, you know, somebody's like, I'm doing all this stuff for you and you, and, and you think I don't love you. And, and she's like, well, you never say you love me. So sometimes we're communicating love in a different language than our partner speaks. So it's important to know what, <clears throat> what speaks love to our partner. There are five love languages, and that's really interesting. I think that book is really helpful, will help you. So, 
something else that you can create more energy towards your marriage is you can focus on personal growth. If one person in the marriage gets better, the marriage is getting better, okay? It gives it some potential. As you grow closer to God, as you grow closer in his word, you will contribute less to the conflict. When you start learning about forgiveness, when you start learning about all of the attributes of love and what that means, well, you're bringing a better player to the table, right? That will improve your marriage. So what we want to do, we can create a climate for solving conflict. And the great thing, they tell us that emotions, those feelings, can come back. Emotions are finicky things. If you don't feel in love, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's over. It means you're not putting energy. Those emotions can come back. So are you investing in your relationship with your spouse? Are you growing? Are you growing? All right, so now number five. Some implications for the unmarried who want to marry. If you don't want to marry, that's fine and dandy, okay? But if for those that do want to marry, you want to focus on becoming the right person instead of finding the right person. Just focus on becoming the right person. And if you are considering marriage, so you just keep growing and you keep just, you, as you grow in the Lord, if you, if you haven't found the one yet, just think about that's awesome. That means you've got time to grow. As you grow, you're raising the standard of what you attract. That's an awesome thing. That's not a boo-hoo, woe is me. That's a, we can raise the standard here. So keep growing. If you're considering marriage, one of the things you need to ask is what reason do we have for believing that we could become one? That's the goal, is to become one. Okay, this unity. What do we have? So the practical side, here's the different areas of life, your intellectual life. Now, everything doesn't have to be same, same, right? But you need to know that you could come together and be one. So intellectual life, what kind of books do you like to read? What kind of TV programs do you enjoy? What kind of interests did you have in school? Asking some questions. Sometimes people get married knowing nothing of these things. Social life. Music interests, you know? Do you know what kind of music they like? Do they love opera? Is that a problem for you? <laughs> Gospel music, ballet, how much TV do they watch a week? What are their recreational activities? Have you ever heard of the golf widow? You need to know what, they, what their recreational life is like. Parties, do they like to go to parties? Do they like to stay at home? Spiritual life. Sometimes people think that they can marry somebody from a totally different denomination, a totally different view of spiritual things. And um, we read one story in our small groups about this couple. They were sure they were going to get married, and he was Catholic, and she was Protestant, and they didn't think it was a problem. And then in the pre-marriage counseling, it came up, well, how are you going to raise your kids? And then it suddenly realized, oh, this is a problem. And they broke off their marriage. 
All right, so do you have enough in common to hold you together? Opposites, you know, you hear that opposites attract, but opposites don't always get along. But the most important thing is the spiritual side of things. This is why you should get married. You need to ask the question, what is God's will? You need to get married because both people are deeply convinced that marriage is the work of God. This is the reason you get married if you're not married yet that you're deeply convinced that that this marriage is a work of God. All right, number six, relationship. I think this is our last one. Relationship hurt. Sometimes relationships are such a source of hurt that it can make us be like, I don't like people anymore. You know, people wear the shirts. Uh, What does it say? I was a people person until... Until people ruined it. Yes, that's, uh, yeah, we, we, have, we have relationship hurt. People hurt, right? All right, so I just want to encourage you in this. Don't park your life at the point of pain or disappointment and stay there. Don't park. We all get hurt. You may have had, you may have had a bad divorce. Don't park there and stay there. It's hard to grow beyond something if you don't let go of it, okay? It's hard to grow beyond something if you don't let go of it. You're going to have to choose to let people in and make new friends. If you park, if you park, the rest of the world will miss out on what God wants to do through you. When you park, the forward motion of your life parks. The things that God wants to do in your life stops. So... The rest of the world will miss out on what God wants to do through you. God's called you and he has a purpose for you. But you're only going to accomplish that purpose through relationships. You're going to have people that ag you on to do what he's called you to do. And you're going to have people that you're supposed to be affecting. So you cannot accomplish God's plan for your life without relationships. God is calling us forward, but it comes down to what are you willing to settle for? I love, I love this idea that we co-create our destiny with God. We're co-creators. I think that's worth thinking about. We co-create. He has a destiny. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's got it laid out, provided for, but it doesn't doesn't happen just because of that we are co-creators with him how far are we willing to go what are we willing to do how are we willing to invest our choices make us a co-creator with God I just encourage you to turn your attention to the relationships that are part of your calling. Invest in your relationship with God. None of your other relationships are going to be right unless that one's right first. And then invest in your relationship with your spouse. Invest in your relationship with your children. True North, you've been placed in, called to a family. He said, I'm putting you in families. It's part of your calling.
We're going to close with Acts 2. This is at the top of your page on the front side. Acts 2, 46. This is an example of relationship in the early church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it's with the apostles' strong relationship with the Lord first and then the relationship with each other that God was able to do mighty things through them, through their relationship. But you know what? Relationship, there's some effort involved. Do you see the effort in that story? So it's we have to build and strengthen our relationships with our, our fellow believers. I can do some things on my own. You can have some, some success on your own, but when we work together as he's created us to do, we can turn the world upside down like they did. All right. Let's stand to our feet. Too many people are looking for love in all the wrong places. God wants to do something in your life. wants to take you to greater places. Let's go to the Father, and let's just commit this time to him, and let's ask, Lord, what do you want? What do you want from me? What would you have me do? How would you have me look at my relationships in a different way? Thank you, Father God, that you're speaking to our hearts. Thank you, Father God, you're wanting to take us to new places, to not be parked, to do great things in our lives and among us and with us. Thank you, Father God, for the relationships that you've placed. They were ordained by you, called by you, that were not chance. The reason we are here today is not chance happenings. It's your working. And you're not done working. There's more things ahead of us that we want to cooperate with you. We want to co-create with you the destiny that you've envisioned, that you've planned. We want to take our place to create that destiny instead of something far less. We thank you, Father God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. I just want to ask if anybody needs prayer this morning. I want to invite you to come down.